Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest analysis and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spodekindle, VP of Product Development with ACFCS, and welcome to the State of the Union. Well, at least when it comes to fraud. It's an understatement to say there's been a lot going on in the past year or so. There's increased adoption of real-time payments, a major increase in digital banking, and of course the ongoing disruption of the pandemic. And for the most part, that's all been music to fraudsters' ears. To help us get our bearings as we venture into 2022, I'm joined by Andrew Corbett and David Schneiderman. In their work as consultants with Nice Actimize, they've been grappling with the state of fraud firsthand. And I'm excited to hear what they have to share with us, what's changing, and what's new both in this year and looking ahead at the next. Andrew, welcome back to the Financial Crimecast. And Dave, thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure to have you both on the program, uh, and we're, we're really excited to have this discussion with you on fraud and the state of the financial crime union, uh, which I would say the state of financial crime union for financial criminals is uh, is very strong. Um, so let's see how it is on the, the detection and prevention side. But thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you to you both. Um, and if you don't mind kicking us off with just maybe a, a brief description of, of your experience in this space. Uh, and, and your role uh, in detecting and preventing fraud and financial crime. So, uh, Andrew, I know you're you're a returning customer to the Financial Crime Cast. Do you mind starting us off? No, thanks for having me back. Yeah, hello everyone. My name is Andrew Corbett. I am a pre-sales consultant at Nice Actimize. My experience is kind of fun because I got a few years under my belt before COVID nineteen, and then I've been around a couple of years because it's almost two years really since the start of it. Uh, you know, since it's happened, so I've kind of gotten to see. Uh, you know, I'll look at both sides of the fence and um, it, it really leads to what I hope will be an interesting perspective for everybody. And, you know, just some of the things that we've seen different in the uh, in the new year. Yeah. And uh, my name's Dave Schneiderman. Also, I'm a pre-sales consultant with the, the Nice Actimize team here and been in the industry for about 12 years, just a little over 12 years now. Um, and from a trends perspective, yeah, I think I have a pretty interesting perspective because I've been around for a while. Um, and uh, very happy to be here and talking about it. Excellent. Thanks to you both again for being here. So let's get right into it with uh, a look at 2021. We are, uh, amazingly enough, most of the way through this year. Uh, we're, uh, we're about uh, 10 months into, into the year, mm-hmm. coming towards the end, and it's already time to start reflecting on lessons learned. Uh, so what have you seen as the key fraud trends for 2021? Uh, what's been taking place, and what can we learn from it? It's obviously been a busy year, uh, quite a bit going on. So I love your perspective on this first, this first question. Yeah, and you know, Dave, I'll, I'll go ahead and start and then I'd, I'd love your feedback on it because we actually haven't had this sure. discussion yet. So for yeah. me, I think it kind of follows a natural logic that uh, with 2020 and COVID-19 and the advent of all these new fraud typologies, I would say as opposed to um, you know this year, 2020 had a lot of brand new stuff that we'd never seen before. 2021 to me feels more like a natural evolution where there's similar typologies, but now it's about refining it on the fraudster side. So they're trying to be more efficient they're trying to be more prolific with the fraud attempts. And then also they're trying to kind of react to our reaction as a financial crime uh, fighting force with how we were trying to prevent that fraud in 2020. 
So it's a lot of like punch and counter punch is what I've seen for the most part. Uh, but Dave, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think one uh, perhaps different perspective would be that not everything we're seeing is brand new. Uh, a lot of what we're seeing uh, is sort of rehashing some of the effective threat vectors that we've uh, you know, been witnessing over the many years. They've taken on much more traction uh, over the last 18, 20 months. Uh, and I think you, you couple with that uh, payments getting more expeditious, it, it becomes a, a much greater challenge for financial institutions in general. Yeah, it's interesting because COVID-19 kind of happened right as we were already, you know, on that downward slide into faster and faster payments with Zelle coming up and being a big impact for a lot of institutions. So in a lot of ways, it's like the worst possible timing, best for fraudsters, but worst possible timing for some of these institutions that had just kind of signed on for Zelle or were in that process. Because I agree with you, like, even if we look at something like unemployment benefits, which I know me and Brian talked about a lot last time I was here. You know, that's not a brand new typology. It's just different. You know, account takeover coming from the mobile or online channels, pretty typical. But then instead of taking that money and sending it out of the institution, they're, they're sending money to that account and they're just putting a different name on that account. I think the interesting thing that's going on with some of the evolutions that we've seen, and I think I mentioned this last time I was here too, is we get a lot of conversations these days about, hey, we're about to go live with Zelle or we're already live with Zelle. And we need to figure out how to take what we're doing on the digital side and lead to real time, first of all, understanding, but then hopefully interdiction so that we can protect ourselves. Yeah, uh, again, good points. And I think that as we continue to see uh, faster and faster payments, uh, you know, Zelle, of course, is more on the consumer side, RTP, more on the on the commercial side, um, a lot of other uh, fin techs getting into the payments game uh it's a it's greenfield for a lot of, fi uh, of financial crime um uh you know criminals out that are out there the fraudsters if you will and that again just poses additional challenges that uh, build upon the ones that we already have been facing dave what's a conversation you're having today that you weren't having five years ago when well i think yeah, I think today, and you touched on it, uh, I think today's conversations are really uh, more so around real time than ever. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of different fraud solutions in particular, historically, have, have been more around detection, which is sort of the after the fact. Mm -hmm. um, and now they're getting into more of the, hey, how do we stop something from happening? How do we intervene or interdict? And how do we do that in real time? Uh, and, and that's, I think, really been the, the biggest trend in, as we've been interacting with customers over the last, I would say, 18 to 24 months. I would agree with that completely since I've been in the industry about five years now. The craziest um, shift has been in what you just described, which is intent. You know, we're not trying to detect anymore. We're trying to stop. We're trying to be proactive. Uh, the phrase I hear a lot is, you know, offense is the best defense. And uh, I definitely think that's true when it comes to something like Zelle, because once it's gone, it's gone. It's not a check or an ACH where we have you know, options to get this money back. Um, you're playing for keeps in that arena. And it's tough, too, because a lot of the credit unions, especially that I'll speak to, and sometimes sometimes smaller banks as well, and fintechs are already all over this. You know, if you're trying to attract a younger customer base, they need real-time payments. You know, that's something they're looking for. And uh, I think the last time that I was here, Brian, one of the discussions that we had is, 
one of the few positives that's come from COVID-19 is you're seeing more and more customers and you know potential credit union members that are not limiting their decision on who to you know do business with based on geography. You know, I'm having a lot more conversations where it's like, yeah, you know, we actually have a lot of customers in this state that we don't even have branches in because of a marketing campaign or because of a, you know just a way that things worked out. So committing to this interdiction capability, committing to being able to protect yourself and instead of you know just detect what happens leads to so much more value as you see your business growing from different you know avenues and channels. Yeah, yeah and oh, go ahead, Brian. Oh no, I was you know I was just going to ask. I, I think the real time payment point is um, something that we hear echoed at ACFCS from a lot of our members as both a um, area of huge growth, but also a huge challenge. Right. So I'm wondering from your perspective, um, you know, what do you need to get this right, so to speak, this kind of real time interdiction and prevention of of the much faster um, pace of fraud? You know, what what do you see as some of the key needs or key elements you have to have in place to do this, to do this, this much more um, uh, faster fraud detection and prevention well? I mean, it's kind of ironic because with real time, you're thinking of like, you know, instant gratification, right? Like we have a payment going, it's out, right? But from a infrastructure perspective, it's one of those like common stories we over here of like an overnight success takes a few years. You know, you need to have that digital banking infrastructure. You need to have the ability to contextualize the non-monetary side. There's a lot of things you need to take care of and have, in, you know, in secure standing before you want to add real-time payments if you're trying to protect yourself in real time. So, you know, having a great relationship with your digital banking platform, being able to get data from your various vendors, to whoever you're working with um, on the detection side is so important because if you can't be real-time on the non-monetary side, there's really no way that we're going to be able to do intervention for you. Or interdiction, uh, but would you agree with that, Dave, or do you have a different opinion? Uh, yeah, I think um, you touched upon it. It's it's being able to get to the data. It always starts with the data uh, integrations, real time integrations, uh, the ability to also understand behavior uh, leading up to payments. Right, so being able to get out in front of something. It means that I don't have to sit back and wait for a transaction and make a decision in the 11th hour, do I process or not. Uh, the ability to understand, you know, does this look like my customer or member uh, leading up to those payments uh, is really important. The other aspect I was thinking of earlier um, was friction. Uh, so when financial institutions uh, are trying to service their, their customers and members through these digital channels, they always have to be cognizant of the fact that while they want to have security uh, and they want to be able to protect uh, their customers and members and their assets, they also have to be uh, concerned about putting too many barriers to doing business in place as well. And so there's that happy medium. Uh, we sometimes call it friction right, uh, but the idea around being able to do this in a way that allows their customers to you know, conduct the activities and businesses that they want to do uh, without being having too many speed bumps. So, um, yeah, so that is also another concern that, that we've run into across the financial system. That's why the interdiction story uh, really makes a lot of sense, right? Because they can design their own uh, configurations, their own criteria for which 
uh, they want to interdict right? while letting everything else go through because they're comfortable enough from a risk perspective to uh, to let things get processed. So I think those things really lead, you know, this conversation. It's got to take into consideration not just the speed of the data, but also, you know, a strategic perspective of the financial institution deciding what's worthy of intervening on. I actually think that's a great point because it, it does come down to detection. Otherwise, all you're doing in real time is just irritating your customers, which, you know, <laughs> that's not something you want to be efficient with. Yeah, great points all around. So uh, th thank you so much for the uh, the initial sort of look at, hey, where where have we gone over the, the long, strange uh, uh, trip of 2021? Um Let's take a minute to look ahead and and see about 2022 um, and where we see we're going. So, you know, we've learned quite a bit about real-time payments, about mm -hmm. the, you know, multiplication of uh, fraud attack vectors. Um, is that what we expect to continue looking ahead to the new year? Is there something new on the horizon? Uh, any thoughts on, on where we're going in the, in the next year? We've seen a lot with device duplication, and I, I know I talked about that the last time I was on. The thing that I've also started to notice and I would project forward is it's just so important as an institution that you have the ability, like uh, Dave mentioned, to really understand behavior. Because we're seeing a lot of VPNs. We're seeing a lot of you know mass adoption of VPNs. And I've run into a, a lot of prospects that have had some real problems with this. So they either don't have that information, they're not getting it from their data provider, or they are getting it, but they don't have an ability to really assign a uh, behavioral metric to it. Understanding if somebody's using a VPN and, and when they're using it and what's following that activity is really important today, and it's going to be even more important in, in the future as some of these other you know device duplication typologies that we see begin to be kind of attacked and worked on the uh, fraud and compliance side. Fraudsters are going to kind of go where the value is. And for the moment, I'm really seeing a lot of value in that VPN, uh, you know, just taking advantage of the fact that maybe some of the institutions out there don't really have a good feel for when customers are using that and, and what it means in the context of a fraud event. Yeah. And I would also, on top of that, uh, I would say that um, understanding the, the trends that the criminals are leveraging multiple payment rails, if you will, uh, you know, it used to be accounts get breached and they'd, they'd wire money out, right? Uh, but now it's so much more uh, multi-channel or omni-channel when it comes to uh, how uh, these these money movement takes place, right? Accounts get breached, money comes in, money goes out, but they're using different rails. So you have to kind of understand from an omni perspective what is really happening that tells the full picture, the whole story. Uh, because if you're only looking at it from, you know, the wire perspective or looking at Zelle or RTP or some other, you know, specific payment, you, you only have half the equation. There's also like a, a macro micro discussion that you have to have when you're talking about fraud because fraud's not AML where, you know, an industry standard can really be applicable because those are those known typologies and we can really use that data to, you know, figure out and optimize the process. With fraud, it can be local. I mean, it can be really specific to geography. So one of the things that you have to be able to do, and I mentioned this last time as well, is just configure for your own reality because fraudsters are doing that. Fraudsters are looking at all the data over the last two years and they're stress testing thresholds. They're getting that industry information. 
And then they're also trying to figure out, you know, these institutions that they're attacking, these credit unions, these banks, these fintechs. They're going to figure out what's being put in place if there are hard and fast rules, and they're going to move the goalposts on you. So, so much of success today and in the future is about being able to have instant visibility, whether it's through reporting or whatever plot process you're using, to really understand, hey, what does this data mean for us specifically? You know, our institution, the patterns that we're seeing in our area of operation, and how is it possible that people might move the goalposts on us? And can we see if they're doing that? Because if we can, if we can run a dedicated report and see that, you know, hey, we have this new customer metric that we're using where, you know, it's the first 10 wires makes you a new wire customer. And we have fraudsters making money from 11 to 15. Well, then we need to change our rules because fraud is really at the end of the day about protecting your own fort. You know, industry information is great and you can use that to really shape your, your plan. But, you know, Mike Tyson said it best. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So know that that happened and then be able to counterpunch. Have the information that you need is so important for the way that the industry is moving. Yeah, and, and, and kind of expanding upon rules for a moment, you know, when you think about how rules are designed uh, to try to detect, right? Rules are designed around known fraud. Uh, and so you get hit, you create a rule that says, hey, I, now that I know what this fraud looks like, I'm going to look for it moving forward. So very reactive approach. And then part of the biggest challenge with rules um, is that they're indiscriminate, meaning they don't really take into consideration individuality of customers or members because you could have uh, one customer that breaks that rule every single day. And by the way, bank resources and credit union resources are always constrained, right? There are never enough hours in the day or enough people to be monitoring all the, the myriad of alerts that typically get generated. And so the big challenge is with rules, they're indiscriminate, they don't understand individuality, and therefore you're going to get a bunch of false positives, you're going to spin a bunch of unnecessary cycles, um, you know, and so you got to be able to, to filter through the noise. And uh, that's why you hear a lot about behavior analytics based systems, but not just the behavior analytics, but the learning, the machine learning uh, in a, maybe an unsupervised manner so that the, the, the policies that you have in place continue to evolve as you learn more and more about your customers and members. The, their their individual behavior is really what's going to dictate the risk of their activity. Uh, and I think that's a big trend right now, too, right? Trying to get away from legacy approaches that are not terribly efficient or effective uh, to something that's going to give you a better opportunity to be more proactive in your approach. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about balance. And the most successful platforms and programs are using a kind of a dual prong approach. So they're using behavioral analytics and unsupervised machine learning to kind of cut through the noise, like Dave said. And, you know, let's make sure we're spending our time on what we actually have in front of us that looks dangerous. But then when you're dealing with the known and when you're dealing with things that are specific to you, do you have the agency to make a rule and to change something? And even better, if you can have a rule that's actually utilizing your, you know, behavioral analytics and your risk scoring in the rule, because then you're kind of doing both at the same time. And as we move forward and look at 2022, you know, the need for that's never going to go away, right? There's never going to be less fraud than there is right now. The people, you know, more people, more fraud. <laughs> it's just kind of the way it works. So what we're, what we're seeing and what we're dealing with at the moment is just like in 2020, something that's going to evolve next year. So the things that are working right now are going to continue to work next year, but probably not at the same level of success because we've had a year to figure it out, right? So they're going to make adjustments and they're going to make changes. 
And the funny thing about fraud from where I sit in my seat is fraud is kind of like liquid. You know, if there's a crack in the glass, that's where the water's going. So if you have a spot in your solution that you don't have data on, or you're not collecting behavioral analytics, you don't understand the behavior, or you can't report on that data, so you can't understand what's going on, you know, post-transaction, post-event, that's where the value is for fraudsters. And, you know, they get paid too, right? Like <laughs> they are very much professionals in their own mind. And they have these little, you know, fraud crime rings that operate as businesses and they're pooling resources together and they have R and D, you know, when you look at device duplication and all the stuff that they're doing right now, that is tried and true methods that have gone through several iterations. So I think last time I was on here and, you know, me and Dave have this conversation all the time. It's really important that we contextualize that, um, our opponents are driven and they are professionals in the way that they go about their business. So the only way that you're going to beat them is by having all the tools at your disposal and spending time on things that you need to spend time on. Excellent. No, some great points in there and some good uh, boxing references as well as some, uh, some notable quotables from you, Andrew, like your, uh, your, your metaphor of fraud as a liquid flowing through the areas of, uh, of least resistance. So, uh, so yeah, no, some, some fantastic, uh, some fantastic points brought up by you both. Um, and a lot to, a lot to chew on there. I want to shift a little bit talking about the threats to talking about the, countermeasures, the things we can do. And really, uh, both of you have already referenced several, but to drill down on this a little bit, you know, uh, we've looked ahead at, at now 2022, where we're going. What can we do today to prepare? Um, and you've mentioned some, you know, I want to say easy things, since it doesn't seem like anything's ever easy in the, the fraud prevention arena, but, you know, some, some kind of uh, initial steps, for example, getting a handle on device location, VPNs, that type of thing. Um, uh, what else, what can be done, you know, to really get, get ahead of, at least theoretically get ahead of some of the, the fraud threats that we're seeing in the new year? Yeah, you know, and, and David, I kind of want to reformat this question and give it to you because I'm curious about this myself. A lot of times when I'm trying to figure out how to do something, I'll, I'll go and find somebody and uh, who knows what they're doing, right? Because I want to see what it looks like when it's done correctly. And then I can kind of leverage off of that when I'm, when I'm trying to get there myself. When you look at these customers that we have or these, these people that you meet, these prospects that you meet, what does it look like when you're doing it right as a fraud platform? Yeah, one of the biggest trends uh, that we've seen over the last several years is this sort of convergence uh, from the fraud and AML uh, sides of the house, if you will. Uh, you know, AML, of course, is the compliance aspect. It's something bad happened. We're, we, we, we have some rules to identify that and determine, do we need to report on that? Uh, fraud is, hey, something potentially is happening. Can we put a stop to it? Um, and so we're seeing this... Um, this trend of uh, this sort of frammel trend, right? The, the convergence of fraud and AML and the ability for these teams uh, to easily share information um, internally, because a lot of times they're very disparate groups. They're siloed in many ways. Uh, and so I think that's a big component of fighting financial crime, right? Again, fraud is going to be in the moment we need to uh, make a decision right now, is this legitimate or not? AML is, hey, something bad happened and, and 
now we got to do maybe perhaps a, a larger financial crime investigation. But we want to take what the fraud team has found uh, as the basis or the foundation for this larger financial crime investigation. So I think that's uh, probably paramount moving forward, right, is the ability for those teams to be uh, working in tandem, working in conjunction with each other effectively. Uh, otherwise, again, just spinning a bunch of unnecessary cycles. I completely agree. I mean, I, my biggest thing is I always want to see people who have a plan, right? Because the plan will change. It'll change every single day in this business. But if you don't have a plan, you're planning to fail. It's like a really old saying, but I, I truly believe it. And when you think about a plan, it's a combination of organization and communication. So communication between those two teams, absolutely essential. Also having everything available, you know, having a unified case manager is such a game changer for teams. When you're seeing an AML uh, alert in front of you and you can see the fraud case that this customer had six months ago, and that might actually have a change in the way that you approach the investigation. That's what having a plan as a, as a you know, overall financial platform looks like. I think the other thing, too, that um, I always kind of look at when I'm looking at success is when people have the ability to learn from losses and victories, right? There's a great, you know, oh, well, you either, you either win or you learn, right? That's kind of true, in my opinion. You know, yeah, sometimes when you lose, you can learn, but sometimes when you win, you can learn. So are you able to have access to all of your data? Do you know why things happen? Do you have the ability to run custom reports and see the results, of when you test the market, right? When there is fraud or when there is AML activity. And can you use both winning and losing as a source of learning? Because uh, what that's gonna do is it's gonna reinforce the other two things we talked about, organization and communication, and your plan's gonna get better. And you're gonna go into the next day with an even better plan. And then that plan will change because that's the nature of the business. But I think you have to start each day that way. Yeah, it, yeah, and it is an ever-changing landscape, right? I mean, fraud continues to evolve. You you mentioned it earlier, Andrew. Uh, the, the criminals are going to continue to evolve and change. You 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 know, you plug a hole in one area, it sprouts somewhere else, right? And so, the ability to stay ahead—it's it, it, a game of leapfrog in many ways. But uh, the ability to stay ahead is 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 really challenged when you don't have access to the information and we don't have the right systems in place to you know, paint the full picture if you're only looking at a corner of it. But one thing that we really do have uh, kind of in our, in our corner as an industry is we have a lot of really talented investigators. You know, when I meet these prospects or even looking at our own customers, like you'll have two or three people in between them, they have 45 years of experience at that institution. It doesn't really happen in a lot of industries, especially today with you know the nature of people change jobs every two or three years. So this is one of the last places where it's like, no, like I, we have people in this room that can tell you everything that's happened over the last 15 years. And then as a platform and as a, and as a team, you know, are you utilizing that? Do you have the ability to? It's another really big thing. Uh, having yeah, the yeah. ability to leverage that is so important. Definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of experience out there and, and you know, in the banking industry in particular, yeah, there, there are a lot of folks that have, um, you know, decades and they're still on probation, by the way, after being with the bank for a couple of decades. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there's, there's quite a few uh, really great resources. I think one of the areas where uh, a number of banks have done very well is um, – creating their own communities, uh, their own mm. work groups, their, you know, whether it's rallying around a particular platform or a particular region, 
um, you know, being in a in a group of of like-minded individuals sharing information. Um, it's really information sharing is a huge component of fraud prevention as well, right? Uh, understanding what the guy down the street is seeing is really important, um, and and a lot of them have done a great job of of working with their peers, uh, and that has to continue as well. Well, I love to uh, end these podcasts on an optimistic note. So I appreciate that to you both uh, for, for doing so. And I absolutely agree. There's a ton of talent in this uh, space. There's a ton of experience. And really, as you're, you're both uh, noting very well, one of the big ways forward on the, the financial crime prevention side is, is tapping into that talent, whether that's through breaking down the silos and in, increasing uh, communication, collaboration, um, and just empowering people to, you know, be as, as fired up and as creative as the fraudsters were up against. So um, some great points, both on a threat side, a, you know, practical and, and uh, uh, organizational uh, uh, steps side that institutions can take against them and on a, a wider philosophical side of how we, we win in this, uh, this fin crime state of play we're in. So Andrew, Dave, thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. You bet. Yep, appreciate your time as well. Thanks, everyone, for listening out there. Please find the Financial Crimecast on your favorite podcasting platforms. We're on Spotify, Apple, and others. Please join us again for the next conversation. Goodbye, everyone.